Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to another Buckeye Talk. Dougley Maurice, very late, very late, too late on Sunday night. I should have gotten this done earlier, and I didn't. Thanks to you guys for hanging along, uh, hanging on. Nobody is listening to this on like the middle of the night on Sunday night. So this is like a Monday morning podcast, but it still counts as the daily Sunday one because I'm going to do another one Monday that'll really preview the game. I know I keep promising to preview the game, but I don't care about Wisconsin Northwest, and there's too many other interesting things going on here. So this is Buckeye Talk. I just checked the old uh, iTunes Apple podcast thing, Um, and since we're, we're, we're cranking out daily podcasts, we're number three at the moment on the college and high school podcast lists for most listened to. Number three podcast. How about that? Thanks, guys. Um, Also, thanks to the guy that we saw at the media party restaurant tonight who talked to Tim May, legend, had some good Tim May stories tonight. He's the uh, Columbus Dispatch beat writer for more than 30 years who's retiring after this season. Um, And then the guy uh, said hi to me and said he listened to Buckeye Talk. So if you're that guy and you're listening to this right now, thanks, bro. We're going to talk about Tate Martell. Uh, He was the story of Media Day. Um, I'm trying to think of the other news today. Josh Allaby is definitely going to start at left tackle in the Rose Bowl. So they have two new starters, basically. Wyatt Davis, who took over for the Big Ten Championship game after Demetrius Knox at right guard was hurt against Michigan. And now Josh Allaby, a fourth-year junior who came as a defensive player, switched to the offensive line, I think has been a solid backup. Um, it, it, he was the number 555 recruit in the nation in 2015. It's never a guy that I think they planned on being a starter here, but I think he's been a solid backup, and he's going to make his first career start in the Rose Bowl. So, you know, Thayer Munford, I thought, had a, had a pretty solid sophomore year, his first year as a starter. They're very high on Thayer Munford. He's just banged up, so he can't play. So, you know, that's a step down. We know it's next man up, but the next man is never – is 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 usually usually not as good as the previous man or he would have been playing. Now, of course, you know, we've had some instances this year where Chris Olave and Brendan White um, got some opportunities because of what happened with other guys, and they turned out to be 
really good. But those are young guys. Those are those are future starters who are getting an early look. Uh, Josh Allaby was never a projected starter here. So <clears throat> I do always think it's interesting in college football. There's a big difference between your backup being a young guy who just isn't starting yet and your backup being an older guy who was never going to start. So maybe the older guy you know, has been around, has been at practice, has more reps. Maybe you trust him more, but his upside's not as good, right? When Chris Olave took over for Austin Mack, that was just Chris Olave early. But you maybe thought Chris Olave was going to be something. A lot of people were saying good things. Josh Allaby is going to be a backup here. Although, one of the stories I wanted to do uh, off Sunday Media Day and didn't get the chance to because they said we were going to get to talk to everybody in the two deep. <coughs> Cough is still here, kind of. But we didn't get everybody in the two deep. We got like we only got like seven offensive linemen. We didn't get ten. So we didn't get Nicholas Petit Frere, the freshman right backup right tackle. We didn't get Brandon Bowen, who was the starter at right guard last year before he broke his leg. I'd love to talk to Brandon Bowen. I was maybe gonna do a story about the right tackle battle next year to replace Isaiah Prince. Will it be maybe at the start at least a three way battle between Alibi, Brandon Bowen, and Nicholas Petit Frere? Um but those guys didn't come. Only Alibi came. So we'll get to that eventually. Uh, I did talk to Baron Browning, and that was interesting. I did talk to Bill Davis. Ooh, let's talk about Bill Davis a little bit. <clears throat> I just, I did, I told Bill Davis um, that I've been critical of him. I said I've been critical of you, and he maybe seemed to know that. Which I guess if anybody who has paid attention for the past two years, if you ever listened to Buckeye Talk or ever read my Twitter, um, you would know that. He, we didn't get in, a, in an argument. I had, I had someone earlier this year, not connected with the program, but just someone else out there in the world um, who, who I think would know, who said that like Bill Davis is like a really nice guy and just not that good of a football coach. Um, so he's a very nice guy. And so, you know, you tell a nice guy to his face that you've been critical of him and basically you don't think he's done his job very well. He, he said, which is an explanation that people give a lot, that he was like, well, why, why, do I, why have I been critical of him? And, uh, you know, I was saying there seem to be games where the linebackers aren't as confident or as comfortable um, as you would like them to be. There seemed to be times when they were taking wrong steps <clears throat> and not hitting gaps. And he gave the answer that coaches give a lot, which is, well, a lot of times, if you're just looking at plays or watching a film or watching the game live, you might think that a guy did something wrong, but you don't know exactly what the scheme calls for in that moment. And maybe the guy is actually doing exactly what he's supposed to do and someone else screwed up. <coughs> God, it's like I don't cough until the podcast starts. And if I had an editor, I'd take it out. But I don't, so you get the cough. Sorry. You know, it's the explanation coaches give all the time, which is, well, well, you don't know the play. So maybe it looks wrong to you. Or, you know, if, if a guy pops an 80-yard run, yes, something went wrong. But if you're blaming this guy, it actually was this guy's fault. Um, but I'm not interested in blaming players. I'm interested in blaming coaches. I'm inter interested not in blaming 20-year-olds who are amateurs, but blaming... 50-year-olds who get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars. So I just thought, I just told him, I thought that the linebackers this year, um, 
looked like they didn't have some good fundamentals at times, looked like they were uncomfortable at times, not confident at times. Um, and, I, and I just asked him about, like, you know, you never recruited before. Are you really a guy, you know, who can recruit at the Ohio State level? And he was like, yeah, I think I am. And so, you know, it, it wasn't an argument. It wasn't a tremendous conversation because he's just going to defend himself. And, and, and to me, the proof is kind of on the field. Um, he sounded like he thinks he should be back. And here's the thing, that he sort of brought this up at the end. And again, you can read it all in the story, but when you listen to the podcast, you get it early. He said, well, I know Ryan Day because they did coach together with the 2015 Philadelphia Eagles. And then Bill Davis sort of seemed to claim um, some responsibility for helping to bring Urban Meyer and Ryan Day together. And he said when he worked there, and in 2015, Bill Davis, who he's Billy, when he coaches in the NFL, he's Billy. But when he coaches in college, he's Bill, which seems backwards to me. Unless like with the grown-up millionaires, you're trying to be young and cool and you're Billy. And then when you're with the teenagers and the 20-somethings, you want to be more official in your bill? I don't know. In 2015 with the Philadelphia Eagles, with Chip Kelly as the head coach, Bill Davis was the defensive coordinator. Ryan Day was the quarterback's coach. And Bill Davis said that he helped Urban come back around on Ryan Day. Now, now Ryan Day had worked for Urban Meyer as a grad assistant in 2005 at Florida. But as Urban Meyer has explained out here, that was basically Dan Mullen's hire. Dan Mullen... Ryan Day and Chip Kelly are part of the New Hampshire Mafia in college football. And so Dan Mullen was Urban's offensive coordinator at Florida. And he said, hey, I want to hire this guy as a GA. It was Ryan Day. And Urban said, fine. It wasn't like Urban knew him. That was a Dan Mullen hire. So Bill Davis said, hey, you've got to come out here. Bill Davis said that Urban was visiting the Eagles in the offseason. And Bill Davis said, hey, you need to go in this quarterback coach. You need to go in his room and listen to him. Now, I have not heard that previously. Um, But Bill Davis was making the point that if you think, well, you know, Bill Davis was hired here as Urban's best friend and and best man, at least at his wedding. um, He also has a relationship with Ryan Day that they were on the same staff. So so there's something there. He thinks he should stay. I don't think he's going to stay. I think Ryan Day wants a simplified defense that lets young football players react be confident and get to the ball quickly. And I think this, whatever this was this year, maybe it's just more of an NFL style or whatever it was from Greg Schiano and then Bill Davis with the linebackers, that's not what this defense did. And it needs to get back to being confident. And, and somebody I was talking to today said, nobody on this defense is confident right now. So I don't know that that, that means you clean out the whole defensive staff. Larry Johnson's not going anywhere, nor should he. Um, but I think that's an issue, and I think Ryan Day, I would guess, is aware of that issue. And and someone brought up a point tonight. We had the media party tonight, which is just a bunch of media ding-dongs sitting around and talking to each other. But someone was bringing up the point tonight of, like, if you're Urban Meyer and you're thinking about all these things that are happening in your life, if you know that Greg Schiano and Bill Davis are two of your very tightest friends in coaching and you also know they didn't get it done this year, it would not be that fun to have to try to tell them they don't have jobs here anymore. Um, 
it might be easier to let the next guy tell them that. So, you know, the, all these coaches, I didn't get to talk to a lot of other assistant coaches today. They were all available. Other reporters out there talked to other guys. You can find their stories out there in the next couple days, I'm sure. But Greg Studrawa talked to people, and Kevin Wilson talked to people, and Tabor Johnson talked to people. And everybody seems very confident or that they're staying and, like, shocked at the implication that they may not stay. But here's the thing. They're not all staying. So somebody's going to be shocked. Or somebody's playing coy or playing dumb right now. So um, that's the Bill Davis story, and that's a story for you guys because really, truly – my connection to Bill Davis is mostly through this podcast, where I have criticized him for the past two years, rightly so in my opinion, but I will write a story about that on Monday, so you can find it at cleveland.com. Now let's back in to Tate Martell. Tate Martell gave an interview to reporters. He was the number one guy on everyone's list, but again, we knew we were going to get the two deep, or thought we were. And so we've talked to the starters so much this year that we want the backups. It's funny at bowl time. It's like, well, there's Paris Campbell. He's really good. There's Draymond Jones. He's really good. And it's like, we've talked to those guys so much. There's there's not much left to say with some of them. So we want to find the guys we haven't talked to, the guys that are going to be part of the future. Because as we always say, the bowl is the first game of the next season. So Tate Martell was the first guy on everyone's list, and he knew that. And after this long, very interesting interview, and I said this on Twitter, I always try to imagine what a guy might say in And I always come up with the most interesting quotes and say, well, if you ask somebody this, they could say this, and I never say it. Tate was more interesting than I thought he would be, more interesting than I imagined, more forthright, more defiant. I thought it was great. Um, Some people may disagree, and we'll get into that. But at one point I said, were you kind of waiting for the opportunity to sort of say your piece about this quarterback situation with the Justin Fields rumors and everything else? And he said, yeah, kind of. And I said, yeah, we were waiting to talk to you too. And he said, yeah, I kind of knew that. And I said, you were great, man. So like, it was a nice media player interaction. It's a player who's pretty savvy about the media uh, and a group of reporters who was eager to talk to Tate Martell. So let's get to an actual question. And then I want to shout out my man, Cullen R. Bowie, Ph.D. He's a professor of mechanical engineering by day, professor of college football by night. I love this guy. Man, um, he, he just like ripped it with like six great questions. We're going to get to a couple of them. But um, here's let's start with Tate Martell stuff. Let's see. Who has Tate Martell stuff? Gene Nilly's worried about this Tate Martell stuff. But let me start with Jim Armpriester at Jim Armpriester. Is it irrational to want Martell to start next year over Fields? Watching him spin spin around, throw a no-look pass, hoping Ben Victor grabs it, and then arrogantly celebrate like it was what was his plan all along will be a lot of fun. Watching Braxton Miller make something out of nothing was so fun. No, it's not irrational because that is like that's the argument. It would be fun. It would be fun on the field, and it would be fun off the field. Now Would they make the playoff? I don't know. I think Tate could be that kind of quarterback. Is Tate a national championship quarterback? Well, maybe not. Um, Would he give you the same chance to win that Dwayne Haskins would? Maybe not. But, like, is Dwayne Haskins going to be here? No, he's not. So I would not be – I would not fear if I was an Ohio State fan – I would not fear a Tate Martell quarterback situation at all. And I feel like maybe I've been all over the map with some of the things I've written. It's, 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 you can look at things, and this happens a lot. You look at things from one angle and you think one thing, and you look at it from another and you think another thing. 
<coughs> so I have written about Matthew Baldwin this offseason and the idea that Ryan Day went down to Texas, plucked Matthew Baldwin. Is Matthew Baldwin Ryan Day's guy? Is he more of a thrower? Is he more like Dwayne Haskins? Okay, would he suddenly have an edge in the Ryan Day era? You can make that argument. Justin Fields coming in, he's not going to come from Georgia unless he thinks he's going to play. He's not guaranteed to get eligible, but given the circumstances of his transfer, and I've written about this, you can find it, it seems very likely that he could be eligible right away for 2019. The, the, the thing that happened, like Shea Patterson got eligible for Michigan without having to sit out. They didn't know that in the spring. And they didn't know that through the summer. They, they found that out late. I think they anticipated it, but they didn't know it for sure. So they were sort of having a quarterback competition that Shea Patterson was involved in, assuming he would be eligible. That could be a situation that you're, you're part of with Ohio State where Justin Fields, if he gets here in January and plays in the spring and there's a battle between Tate Martell and Justin Fields, it's like, well, this is a battle assuming Justin Fields is going to be eligible. And you can assume it, but you maybe wouldn't know it because the NCAA is always slow on this stuff. But I think he will be eligible, and I don't think he would come here unless he thought he was going to be the starter. So you can make arguments for Matthew Baldwin, and you can make arguments for Justin Fields. But you can also make an argument for Tate Martell. And Tate Martell made his own argument today. And I jokingly asked him, and someone said, like, hey, I saw your video, and you asked him, can you throw? What's wrong with you? Like, I like to ask sarcastic questions sometimes um, to see what people say. So I said, Tate, I want to clarify on this. Just to be clear, can you throw? And he was like, yeah, I can throw rather well. So I thought it was like an interesting answer. Of course I know he can throw. But I do think, and he agreed with this, the perception had developed this year that he's like the he's the red zone quarterback. He's in near the goal line. He's running zone read mostly. He's running that zone read because Dwayne Haskins didn't do it well. The package, the Tate series, hashtag Tate series, I called for, when I was calling for him to play early in the year. Like it didn't work. And I think it could have worked better. And I think if you wanted to like assign why it didn't work, I, I think Tate obviously is in there in the mix of why it didn't work. But I don't think he's first on the list. I just think it was awkward. And they didn't, for whatever reason, in an offense where everything, almost everything else worked all year, although they had to figure out the run game for a while and the RPOs kind of threw off the line for a while, like that didn't work. And I don't exactly know why. But I don't think it's an indictment of Tate. I don't think it's indicative of what he can do. He doesn't think it's indicative of what he can do. When I asked him what he's shown so far, he said we haven't scratched the surface. So I don't think it's irrational to want Tate to start. Tate can run hot and cold. He 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 is um God, he's just interesting and he's passionate. And you know, I think maybe some people thought that he was kind of like a me-first guy when he got here because he had a public profile. He was on a TV show in high school, right? Not like a – wasn't on Saved by the Bell, but he was like on a – featured on a quarterback show. But I think he's proven himself to be a teammate here, and he said the reason he stuck around is because of his teammates. I think he's proven himself to be a Buckeye. And the thing that he said – we, you know, I asked him a lot of these questions – he said he thinks he's earned his turn, that he has earned that, and that you know he's not going to run away. And he made this point multi- at least twice, that he's not going to run away from a guy who's never played a snap here, never been in a practice here. That would be Justin Fields or anyone else transferring in. So I think you can believe in Tate. I think you can root for Tate. I think you can have confidence that if Tate Martell's your quarterback, you could have a good football team with Tate Martell as your quarterback. Now, how good? 
I don't know Dwayne Haskins good, right? But I think I you know, like I think if Braxton Miller and JT Barrett could run this offense, I think Tate Martell in his own way could absolutely run this offense successfully. I've said it a million times. I think he's somewhere between Braxton and JT. I don't think we've seen the best of him. He actually has not thrown a pass since Tulane, since week four. He he became a part of the offense with the red zone package stuff, but he didn't throw a single pass. And I don't know why Obviously, they were putting him in there to run the zone read, but then like to have a wrinkle where then he throws off of that. I don't know why that never happened. I did think that he had a, he had a couple opportunities when he was in this season where he could have kept. He didn't keep much, which is like is a sign like, well, at least he's not being selfish. He's not trying to think like, I have to make a play. I'm in the game. But there were times where it was like, man, I think if you would have kept, you might have scored, and instead you handed it to Weber or Dobbins, and they got stopped. So don't judge him by what you have seen. But I did do a video on this, and I had two separate Tate stories, one about what he said about sticking around to win the job and one about him talking and how he would fit in this offense. Go read those at cleveland.com because that's how I get paid. I also did a video about what I think could potentially be a somewhat of a repeat of the Joe Burrow-Dwayne Haskins battle between Justin Fields and Tate Martell. And I will tell you if Ryan Day's first spring practice – is a quarterback battle between Justin Fields and Tate Martell with Matthew Baldwin as a wild card. I am here for that. Sign me up all March. I hope sometimes when there's a coaching change, they let the reporters in more to watch more practice because they want you to get a feel for the new offense. They want you to get a feel for how a new coach does things because we're going to be asking and writing about it. We may as well see it with our own eyes. And sometimes they also want to be nice to the media because they want us on their side. And then once they establish themselves, then they can say, you can't come to practice anymore. So that has been the case in the past with a lot of coaches. Early on, you get to see more. I'm hoping we get to see some football in the spring. And I will say to Ryan Day, Ryan Day, you are from the same hometown as my father. Let us watch practice and maybe that will work. But don't be afraid, Jim Armpriester, of of wanting Tate Martell to start. Here's the other thing. Right now, Tate Martell's a Buckeye. Justin Fields isn't. So if you want to root for a Buckeye, root for a Buckeye. But then as soon as Justin Fields gets here, if he gets here, and I still think he will, he's going to be a Buckeye too. So then you can just root for the best man to win, and uh, that I, I, that could be Tate Martell. I, I like we're, I go back and forth on the percentage I would think on it. I think if Justin Fields comes, he's the favorite because I don't think he would come if he didn't believe or hadn't been it hadn't been indicated to him that he would be the favorite or at least have a very very good chance at this. And again, we're talking about a guy who was the number two overall recruit in the class of twenty eighteen. So. I think it could be really fun. And here's the thing about this. This is supposed to be fun. I know it's a multi-gazillion dollar industry. And I know that we got caught up in a lot of stuff. And I know there was a lot of stuff off the field in 2018 that wasn't very fun for anyone involved, including the fans. Tate Martell makes it fun, man. And, like, if you have a problem with, like, what he said, again, go read my stories. If you have a problem with what he said, you know what? He's just trying to stick up for himself. It's just sports. It's not scaring Justin Fields away. I don't think he was being a jerk about it. I don't think he was being selfish about it. I think he was being confident about it. And we cannot compare every kind of short white quarterback in the world to Baker Mayfield. But you know what? There's a little bit of that in there. Of you know, like, If he's on your t- side, if he's on your team, you love him, man. And he might drive other people nuts. But Tate Martell wants to win this job, and he wants to win a national championship here. And that's what all you guys want, too. Maybe you don't care who wins the job, but you want a national championship. That's all he wants. 
So I do absolutely think it's, it's fun and fair and not irrational at all to root for Tate Martell. Nathan Freilich at N underscore Frey 23, listening to that interview and just the smile on his face when asking about how good he is. I want him as my QB. I don't disagree. It's, it's easy to fall in love with this guy. Personality-wise, we've got to see the skill set. And that's the thing. I think he has it. We haven't seen it. And that's what makes it hard. He had it in high school. Go watch his high school film. I embedded it in one of the stories I wrote. Go watch him, man. He's got some Troy Smith stuff where he's turning his back to the line of scrimmage, scrambling and throwing down the field. He's elusive. He runs to throw. He has an arm. He can drop a dime 50 yards to a receiver in stride. I mean, again, any quarterback who comes after Dwayne Haskins is going to pale in comparison to Dwayne Haskins throwing the ball whether that's Fields, Baldwin, or Martell, right? Because very few people throw it like Dwayne Haskins. But that doesn't mean Dwayne Haskins. That doesn't mean Tate Martell can't throw it. Shaq Harrison, my guy at Harrison, Shaq. With everything Martell has said, will that make Fields not want to come anymore? Is he driving him away with all this talk? And G. Millie chimes in and says, that's what I worry about. They need to shut down this talk and smooth things over with Fields. I don't think it's a problem. Now... Like, again, when we're sitting around at the media party eating a butternut squash, uh, like on a cracker. I don't know. Butternut squash on a cracker? That's like a fancy thing. I like french fries. Um, butternut squash on a cracker. That sounds like a thing that, like, Dabo Sweeney would say about, uh, like, Dexter Lawrence getting suspended um, for the postseason. Uh, Dabo... When uh, Dexter Lawrence got suspended for failing uh, uh, a test, a drug test, what did you think to yourself? And he would say, well, butternut squash on a cracker. I couldn't believe it. I had butternut squash on a cracker. I like butternut squash. My wife sometimes does a thing where she like shreds a butternut squash with like a shredding thing. And it makes it like little skinny, like it's uh, like vegetable noodles, right? And then you make that as your base. Instead of pasta, and it's healthier and it's fewer carbs, and you put the you know you drench it in meat sauce or whatever, and it tastes the same. She hasn't made that in a while. I'm going to ask her to make that when I get home because Tim May, God, I love Tim May, and my goal is to have him on this podcast when he's officially done uh, with the dispatch and he is retiring after this season. He is a legend and he's a tremendous dude. Um, Tim May, we were talking about. Does he want me to say this? I don't care. He said like he was talking about like a couple years ago. He, was, he thought he was too heavy, and he went on a diet, and he cut out the starches, and he, he dropped about 20 pounds. He looks great, man. Slim, trim, ready to roll, um, and, and like it inspired me. Can I drop 20 in 2019? Can I do it? If I can do it, it's going to be thanks to butternut squash. So if you're worried, like, did Tate Martell say too much to drive Justin Fields away? One thing Tate Martell could have, could have said was... <clears throat> I welcome all comers. If Justin Fields or anyone else wants to transfer here, competition brings out the best in all of us. We all want what is best for the Ohio State Buckeyes, but I believe in myself, and I believe I can win this quarterback job against anyone. He could have said that, and he didn't exactly say that. (coughs) Seriously. I guess it's the talking that brings it on. That makes sense. It's like when I'm sitting here quietly typing, I don't talk. When I start talking for 26 minutes, I cough. I said, when I sit here typing, I don't cough. When I talk, I cough. I'm kind of losing it. It's late. 
it's actually like 3.43 in the morning, your time, 12.43 my time. I was late getting this up. Here we go. He didn't exactly say that. He said something more to the effect of nobody can come in here and learn this offense in under a, under a year. So why would I run from anybody who's never played a snap here, never been in the meeting here, doesn't know the offense? Sort of indicating that he doubted anybody coming in and winning the job right away. You know, which is, I mean, he didn't call out Justin Fields. He's making a point. I think it's a point that's easy to get lost when we think about athletic ability and talent and skill set and traits. Now, on the other hand, a lot of, like, first-year quarterbacks start all the time now, right? Trevor Lawrence is a true freshman at Clemson. He's going to play the national title game. Um, So it's, you know, the the thing that Tate Martell was saying is he said Ryan Day's offense is like an NFL offense, and it's not easy to learn. He said it took Dwayne a year. He said it took him a year. So he's making that point. But, But I don't think... A, I don't think guys in competition have to be best friends. You don't want them to be enemies. But again, Justin Field isn't a Buckeye yet. He's a th- theoretical Buckeye. That's a different thing from a Buckeye. So I don't think it's going to scare Justin Fields off because, like, he knows he's here. Justin Fields knows Tate Martell is here. He knows Tate Martell was, like, the number 54 or 56 recruit in the country two years ago. Tate Martell's legit. Justin Fields knows he's here. And, like, he's not going to be scared off of, like, Tate Martell didn't roll out the welcome wagon. So I just I just wouldn't worry about that. Um, I would maybe assume he's going to be here. I don't have any more information on Justin Fields. That was another question from my man, Shaq Harrison. I don't I don't have any else, anything else. Like who's in the mix for him? It's like everybody who could use a quarterback's in the mix. Um, but I would not worry. I just, I wouldn't worry about, about what Tate Martell said. It's got to be fun. Sometimes it's not fun enough. And... And uh, Ari was making this point today. Ari Wasserman was saying, like, you know, it's just sports. Like, and, 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 like, you know, why, why can't guys just be a little more honest and just say what they think sometimes instead of everybody, you know, acting like sports is politics and you've got to mind your P's and Q's. So if Tate Martell's going to be truthful and legit and confident, let's not try to turn that into a negative. Genially, however, would rather have Fields than Martell start next year. Do you think Martell's tweet and today's comments will lead Fields looking elsewhere? And if so, will Martell face backlash from fans? So we've addressed the second part of that. Would you rather have Fields than Martell start? Listen, Fields' skill set and, like, he was the number two recruit in the country. I thought when – I remember talking about him when he was committed to Penn State (coughs) and how big of a deal I thought that was for Penn State. So, like, he's really good. And, and again, I wrote a story yesterday. Dwayne Haskins was asked about Justin Fields. They have a relationship. You know, he said he's a six foot three, two hundred and thirty pound rock freak of nature. Um, physically, straight physically, Justin Fields is a bigger, stronger, better physical specimen than Tate Martell. Doesn't mean you're a better quarterback necessarily. It certainly could help. Um, but again, I here, here's the thing: if you're an Ohio State fan, and, and I said this, uh, options are good. Right, and the best guy's going to win, and nobody should have feared a Joe Burrow, Dwayne Haskins competition last year. And like, I remember there were some people who thought Joe Burrow should have won, and I was kind of like, "Did you see Dwayne Haskins' arm?" And I remember writing a column off the spring game, the throw that won the quarterback competition. There was some throw Dwayne Haskins made. Listen, they made the right call on that, and it worked out for everybody. It worked out for Dwayne Haskins. It worked out for Joe Burrow. It worked out for Ohio State. It worked out for LSU. Everybody won. 
and they pick the right guy. So there is a world where this every it could work out for everybody. It could work out for Tate Martell and Justin Fields and Ohio State and maybe another school. Because Tate said there's a lot of schools where I could go start right now. And what I think he did on Sunday was basically guarantee he's going to stay for the spring. He doesn't guarantee he's going to stay for the fall. Because he said all these things, I'm here, I'm not afraid of this. But if he competes and he's told that Justin Fields has the edge or that, and he knows that Justin Fields is going to be eligible, then he could say, well, listen, you know, I'm not going to be the starter there. I think I deserve to be a starter. I'm going to go. And I don't think there should be hard feelings with anyone. So I think all he did was lock in the fight in the spring. And if you have two good, highly rated recruits, plus Matthew Baldwin, who's a very interesting guy and potentially a starter here also at some point, you have those three guys, you're in great shape. And Tate Martell made the point that when when Tate Martell was a freshman here, his first year in 2016, when... Um, no, 2017. In 2017, when he was here and he didn't play, he redshirted. The idea, he said, that that quarterback room was JT Barrett, Tate Martell, Joe Burrow, Dwayne Haskins. That's a pretty good quarterback room. You're not going to keep that room together where everybody stays. It's too good for that. So maybe you can't keep this future room together, but you know what? Let's have some talent in that room and see what happens. That's not a bad thing. Anything else? Um, is a computer a robot, says G. Nilly. Think about it, Doug. You use computers all the time. Are you really on Team Robot? Um, when my computer like uh, walks across the floor and tries to open the door um, or starts just like uh, randomly talking to me without me choosing for it to talk to me, and I know there's like auto ads and stuff, which you could argue um, it's not a robot. I'm still in control of this freaking thing. The thing that worries me with robots is when we are no longer in control. So I'm in control of this computer. It's not in control of me, although it does run my life and I sit here and type all day. But I'm still, I'm still running the show, Genially. So no, not a robot. <clears throat> How do you think the coaching scheme will look for the Rose Bowl between Urban and Day? Will it be the same as Michigan Northwestern, or do you foresee new Ryan Day added wrinkles? That's from Chorkman, which is a good question. The, the, Chorkman, thanks for joining. Urban's still in charge. Some reporter was asking that this week. We get like sheets out here with quotes and you can tell when somebody's working something and I try to respect that and not write that story if I didn't ask any of the questions because it's their idea. Sometimes you grab little info, info bits here and they're like, oh, that's a quick little hitter. That's an interesting thing. I'll throw that in my Rose Bowl Insider. <clears throat> but somebody was asking about the division of labor and, the, and it's clear from all the answers that Urban Meyer is still in charge. There's nothing different about this. It's like it's Urban Meyer's week. It's Urban Meyer's game plan. When we saw practice, Urban Meyer was talking to the team. Ryan Day wrinkles again. Michigan played man. It seemed like Washington plays a lot of zone. They also play some man. I, like, I don't know about wrinkles. Chris Peterson, the Washington coach, is sort of known for trick plays. Um, the main thing, and it's like it's not a wrinkle with the game plan, it's that they feel like they can do everything. So whether you're in zone, whether you're in man, whether you're trying to stop the run, whether you're trying to stop the pass, whether you have a great defensive line, whether you have a great secondary, <clears throat> the offense, I think, has evolved to the point, and I talked to Terry McLaurin about this the very first day at Disneyland. They feel like they have an answer to everything. So it's, it's and again, it's a lot of this is, and reporters and guys like me are kind of bad at, exp at explaining this, I think, sometimes, that it's like, but mostly the idea is the playbook is the playbook. It's, just, it's what, you, what plays you decide to use that week and what plays you decide to use that fit your personnel, your quarterback, your offensive line, your receivers, 
what fits them and also what works against the defense. But it's not new plays. It's not necessarily new wrinkles. It's like, well, we've had this. You'll hear this a lot. They'll run a play. It's like, well, we've been working on that all year. We just didn't call it. Or we tried to call it and somebody jumped offside, so we got out of it. Or we called it and then the defense look, defensive look was different than what we thought and Dwayne checked out of it. Um, that happens all the time. So I don't think new wrinkles, but I think the, the plan of attack, and they've talked a lot about if you get man coverage, you throw deep, you try to win one-on-one matchups in space like you saw against Michigan, crossers, that kind of stuff, guys on the move. Against man, it's guys on the move. These fast receivers come off the line, boom, make a precise good route, make a cut. They all of a sudden have a step on their defender, and you hit them in stride, which Dwayne Haskins does very well, and they're gone, right? That's man. Against the zone, you find a spot, you settle in. It's less on the run. It's more short passes, and you work your way down the field. You don't have as many deep shots. I don't think there'll be as many deep, deep opportunities against Washington. They try to take that away. And so it's like the game plan changes, but I don't think it's wrinkles. It's just what do you pull out of your playbook based on the defense? Cullen Bowie is just doing my job for me. Compare In-N-Out and Chick-fil-A, both high level. I think Chick-fil-A waffle fries. I don't think the In-N-Out, I actually haven't eaten In-N-Out this whole time. Maybe I'll get there, maybe I won't. Um, Chick-fil-A waffle fries are so good. I don't think In-N-Out fries are great. Um, But I respect all places that do one thing and do it well, whether it's Chick-fil-A or Cane's. Or a burger place like In-N-Out, not a wide variety, but you get your thing and you go. I'm a big In-N-Out guy. I like In-N-Out better than all the burger places in Ohio. <clears throat> but if you ask me, like, what am I going to eat? Like, I want to get In-N-Out out here because it's a West Coast thing. But straight up, what am I taking overall? I think I'll take Chick-fil-A. The chicken is like, those nugs? Are you kidding me? I tried to eat a 100 nugs. That's how you can tell if you're a loyal Buckeye Talk listener. Were you around back in the day when I tried to eat 100 Chick-fil-A nuggets during a podcast? That was old school. Um, Colin Bowie says, am I wrong to want Fields just for the competition? I have no idea if he would beat Tate, but having both ensures that whoever wins will be very good. A la Burrow versus Haskins this year. Colin Bowie, you and I are sharing a brain. Um... Do you think assistant coaches are auditioning for their job in this bowl game or is everyone's future already set? I don't think they're auditioning because they audition during recruiting, right? Ryan Day said the number one thing is recruiting, and, and he knows how these guys game plan. And, and like if, if you feel like, oh, I don't know, let's say that you don't think the corners have played very well and you don't think they've been coached very well. Like if they all of a sudden play better against Washington, that's not going to really change your mind. One game is not going to change your mind compared to 13. So I think their decisions have been set. I think Ryan Day knows what he wants to do, but there's no reason to tell anybody now. And I think you try to be nice to everybody now, but he's going to have to make some hard decisions after the bowl. So I do not think there's anything that's going to happen in this bowl game that's going to change the mind of Ryan Day as it relates to the coaching decisions he's going to make. And this is something we'll get into in the offseason because there's going to be a lot to write about after this Rose Bowl. The Buckeyes have a very weak non-conference schedule next year. Even with the new coaches, it's unreasonable to expect 11-plus wins. I think it might be unreasonable. Because if we want to play the schedule game right now, which I'm always in, uh, I'm always in favor of playing. The week non-conference schedule is that they don't have the major national team next year because they they turned the TCU series into a TCU one-off neutral site game. So TCU is supposed to be on the schedule next year, and they're not. Um, so they start off with Florida Atlantic and Cincinnati. And I remember when the schedule came out, 
it was like, oh, we're going to get Lane and Luke for the first two games. Then it was like, nah, they both won't be there. I think they're both going to be there. So they're going to open with Lane Kiffin and Luke Fickle. And that's going to be kind of crazy. Then it's at Indiana, Miami, Ohio, at Nebraska, Michigan State, Northwestern, Wisconsin, bye week, Maryland, Rutgers, Penn State, Michigan. Listen, this stretch in, in September, at Nebraska, who's going to be better? Michigan State, at Northwestern, Wisconsin, I think there's a loss in there. I think there could be two losses in there, depending if it gets away from you a little bit. And then the idea that you have to end with Penn State and Michigan back-to-back to have to play Penn State the week before the rivalry game is rough. So I think I, there are losses out there. And, like, Cincinnati's pretty decent, you know? Like, I'm not saying that Luke Fickle's going to beat Ohio State, but, you know, we'll we'll get into that plenty this summer. Um, there's no, you know, there's no Baker Mayfield out there. There's no USC out there. There's no Texas out there like there's been in past years. But there's going to be some games that are losable. And I do think that's going to be a tough stretch. There are three West games next year are Northwestern, Nebraska, Wisconsin. So no Illinois, no Minnesota. Um, this, this it's going to be a competitive schedule. I think I I think there I think I would not expect eleven wins necessarily um, right off the bat. And again, when, I, when we talk wins, I always talk regular season. So if eleven, could they go ten and two and win the bowl game? Yeah, I mean that's obviously they could do that. But um, I think there's a possibility too where the the thing and I and I'll make this point more in the off season. Urban Meyer, <laughs> Ohio State was 85 and 9 in the Urban Meyer era. He was 82 and 9 because Ryan Day was 3 and 0. But 85 and 9 is nuts because they had a lot of like games they could have lost and didn't. I wrote a couple years ago how good they were in overtime. They're built for overtime because they had a good defense and a running game. Now, they didn't have a good defense this year and they still managed to beat Maryland. But just think of the games quickly in your head the last couple years. And I'll do something where we add them up. And think about the could have been losses of the Urban Meyer era. But you think about the two Penn State games the last couple of years. You think about the Maryland game this year. You think about the Wisconsin overtime game in 2016. You know, you think about the Nebraska game this year. If the bounce goes a different way, like there's just like a lot of things that could have gone a certain way, right? And and they didn't. Like, and was that Urban Meyer? Partly. Right? I mean, it's like that's kind of where you make your money, where you've drilled your team in a way that when the going gets tough, they can handle it. Maybe you make decisions and maybe you motivate them a certain way and maybe your strength program is good and that they're not tired or as tired as the other team at the end. There is some, certainly some aspect of coaching that goes in there. There's also some aspect of luck and that, like, maybe, for instance, if Ohio State would go nine and three next year, well, maybe Urban Meyer was going to go nine and three eventually too, because all it takes is, you know, if all of a sudden Penn State and, 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 you know, they don't figure out the screen game late against Penn State and pull that out, and Maryland throws a two-point conversion in that game, and all of a sudden you're 9-3 and three instead of 11-1. and one. And, and, like, if that happens to Ryan Day next year, like, does it mean that Ryan Day is worse than Urban Meyer? Well, it might just be, like, your turn to lose some close ones. So we can get into that later, but I think that's something to keep in mind, that, that there is some component – of them winning close games during this era that is an absolute credit to the to Urban Meyer himself as a coach and to the culture that they built here. And there's also some component of luck. And at some point, the luck might catch up with you. And, and now it's not going to catch up with Urban Meyer, but it's going to catch up with Ohio State maybe. And when it does, it'll catch up with Ryan Day. And all of a sudden, people may be questioning Ryan Day or wondering about Ryan Day or criticizing Ryan Day when actually it's like, you know what? Sometimes you lose the toss-ups. So... 
We'll end with that. I appreciate you guys asking questions. Um, oh, you know what? Deshannis Gray on Gmail sent two questions. And so we'll get into these really, really, really quickly. He said, um, I don't really see how Ben Victor fits into the offense next year with all the talent in the wide receiver room, a non-explosive athlete with inconsistent hands and ball control seems like an odd man out. What do you think? So listen, if you run through um, the quarterback, I'm sorry, the receiver depth chart for next year, there's a lot of room for stuff here. If K.J. Hill comes back, and if I'm just guessing, and it's only guessing, I talked to K.J. a couple days ago at at a media availability, and, and we talked a lot about the NFL and he didn't give an answer. Like, I couldn't get a read for sure. My guess is that he goes. There's a lot of openings. Um, if K.J. Hill does go, you've got Ben Ben Victor and Austin Mack at the same spot they were this year, which is sort of like that outside receiver who's more of a possession receiver, right? And then this year, the deep receivers were Terry McLaurin and Johnny Dixon, who are both gone. So you've got Chris Olave on that side, who's going to be really good. He already is really good. You need a second guy there. Very well could be Garrett Wilson coming in as a true freshman because the other options are Jalen Harris, who they're kind of waiting for to to develop, Cameron Babb and Blue um, Smith, who are young guys this year, and then Elijah Gardner, who's been around that I'm not sure is, you know, some guys said he's looked good in bowl practice, but I don't know if you count on him. Blue Smith could be somebody who jumps up for you, but like if Ben Victor's not there, you're really going to be young at receiver, especially if K.J. Hill goes. So I just think Ben Victor is going to be there because he was there in a crowded room this year. He was one of the six. And it's going to be a lot less crowded, at least with veterans, next year. So like, I just don't know that there's going to be first-year and second-year guys like beating out Ben Victor. I understand what you're saying. I think Austin Mack and Ben Victor both have more to show next year. They're both going to be true seniors, and I think they've been more... Um, potential than production so far, Austin Mack's injury. Austin Mack was having a pretty decent year before his injury, but I think he would agree he can do more. So it's going to be an interesting receiver room because Olave is going to play a lot and be important. Jalen Gill's going to be an H-back who's going to play either with K.J. Hill or if K.J. Hill's gone, then all of a sudden you're relying on Jalen Gill and maybe Demario McCall. There's a lot of moving parts here. When they get that, when, we, when when K.J. Hill makes his decision, and actually Mac or Victor could go also, but I'd be surprised if they did. we got to really look at the receiver parts <clears throat> because Brian Hartline is really going to be tested next year. Um, certainly Brian Hartline did his job this year as the interim coach filling in for Zach Smith, but when you have Johnny Dixon, Terry McLaurin, K.J. Hill, and Paris Campbell, they make it a little easier for you. You're losing three of them. You lose all four. It's a very different world, and you're going to have to develop some receivers. And clearly, Chris Olave developed as a true freshman this year. So they're doing some good things. But if your question is, where does Ben Victor fit in? I think he fits in because all the other options are young. So a uh, quick last one from, excuse me, now I have the hiccups, DeShannis Gray. I'm falling apart. You asked why Ohio State failed to reach the level of Bama and Clemson on the field despite doing so in recruiting. Naturally, the first answer would be coaching, but bad coaching doesn't continually win 11 games a year. So I think the offense being limited by JT Barrett's final two years hurt them, especially the JT Cardale year when we had the best team in the nation. Um, I think they missed Tom Herman. They got it figured out with Ryan Day. I think 15 and 16, the combination of, of, of that quarterback situation and the offensive coordinator situation, I think, I think did hold them back. Um, and we were having this conversation today. I think there's always an interesting conversation around ruthlessness, coaching ruthlessness, and how much you're willing to take a player that you respect, who has worked his butt off, that you love, 
and tell them another guy's better. Another guy is what the team needs. And there are some circumstances where just like Urban Meyer didn't pull the trigger on that and doesn't mean he was wrong, but just that's what he did. And there's been some ruthlessness um, with other coaches. Um, and loyalty is a great quality. And we've talked about, about it on this podcast, but you got to put the best. Oh, you have loyalty to the team, and the loyalty to the team is put the best guys on the field. And so on the ruthlessness meter, and I think Nick Saban is ruthless in a way that helps his team, Dabo Sweeney punted the guy, Kelly Bryant, who last year led Clemson to the number one seed in the playoff. They lost in the semifinal, but he still did that. Punted him and played Trevor Lawrence. Um, I thought they should have put in Dwayne Haskins after the Oklahoma game last year, but I also realized that probably Urban Meyer was never going to do that. They say a lot of things that, that Dwayne Haskins wasn't ready last year. I think he would have been ready to be at least pretty decently close to what he's been. So um, I don't think it's like an egregious failing. Um, but on the ruthlessness meter, the fact that Tate Martell has been waiting his turn and Ryan Day seems very interested in bringing in Justin Fields as the number two recruit in the nation from a year ago is pretty high on the ruthlessness meter. And um, I think that's a good thing for Ohio State, if you know what I'm saying. Um, Tate's put in the time and... Ryan Day is like going out to get a guy right on top of him. Doesn't mean Tate's not going to win the job, but he's not assuming anything and not saying, well, you know, we've got Tate Martell and Matthew Baldwin. We're in good shape. He's out there chasing the most talented quarterback available, either in this recruiting class or as a transfer. He's going for the best guy, uh, come what may. That's, that's, that's at least registered somewhere on the ruthlessness meter. All right. Thanks to you guys for listening. Thanks to our friends at shopohiostate.com and minutemantickets.com. We're not pumping them up with his, with his big commercials because guess what? Daily pod, right? They paid for a weekly thing, which is great. So I'm dropping them in every day, but it's not as long. Minutemantickets.com. Go to them for tickets. Shopohiostate.com, the Ohio State University Barnes & Noble bookstore. Go to them for all your Ohio State apparel needs. Tomorrow, Monday morning, which is by the time you listen to this, it will have happened probably. Chris Peterson and Urban Meyer will speak with us at 8.30 Pacific time. And then I have another interview tomorrow that I think is going to come off Come off. Uh, that will allow me to have another story for you guys that I, that I hope is interesting. So uh, I don't want to give that away, um, but I hope that happens. So that's another Buckeye Talk. Again, the Rose Bowl is on Tuesday. It's a 5 p.m. Eastern kickoff. We have to get on the bus. The bus, it's a 2 o'clock game out here the bus for the media that has a police escort and it's kind of cool to get a police escort even though it makes you feel self-conscious because people like have to pull over on the side of the road and they think like famous people are driving past and there's a bunch of ding-dong sports writers that bus leaves at 9 a.m and it gets you to the we're going to get to the stadium like at 9 30 four and a half hours before the game but all the buses after that don't have a police escort and there are times in my life when since I'm not important, I'd like to feel important and have police lead my way. So I think I'll get on the 9 a.m. bus on Tuesday. So glad you guys now have my bus plan. I'm Doug Maurice. Thanks for listening to another daily Rose Bowl podcast. And that, my friends, was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.